Um, and I just started writing and it just started like connecting, right? Um, and then there was a hundred percent a point where like I made my page private. I was like, ain't no one from one really? find this shit. Oh yeah, for sure. Because I was like, I'm being <laughs> so transparent and so honest that I'm like, shit, if someone reads this at work, how is this going to affect me? Um, yeah. And, you know, it took time, you know, because again, this was just last year. So it took time, I think maybe like around the summer as my writing kept growing and growing in terms of just like followership. Um, there was like a little anxiety about like still, you know, like I would only leave my page like public on days I post and then private like <laughs> we got like three days after. Um, <laughs> And it was literally strategic and like, and, and I'm going to be super honest with you. There were times where like, I would see someone follow me from work and I press talk. Like I'd literally do it because I was like, nah, you ain't going to read my stuff. Yo, 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 what up, what up? Dímelo mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. The clip you heard on the intro was with this week's guest, Claudio Cabrera. If you have not checked out Claudio's Instagram already, please do so after listening to this episode. It's wild because I was so surprised that he's been able to gain so much readership. And in this episode, he admits the same thing. In the episode, he said he was shocked too. And what's so interesting is that Claudio's post legit goes against every best practice that I've been taught this is in no way a knock to Claudio. If anything, I'm applauding him. His writing is so good that the best practices go out the window. It's so good that people stop, read, comment, like, share, sometimes even slide in his DMs to share a more personal and intimate story. But before getting into all those things in the full episode, let me give you a quick little bio on him. So Claudio Cabrera is an award-winning audience development expert, journalist, and future author. In 2006, he won an award from the Independent Press Association for his work uncovering the law that allowed phone companies in New York State to charge families of inmates exorbitant rates for phone calls. Over a decade later, New York State actually passed a law to make all prison phone calls free. With the success of this and many other initiatives in this space, Folio Magazine actually named him one of the top audience development managers in the country in 2013. In 2016, he actually joined the New York Times as a senior digital strategist and is currently their deputy off-platform director of news and SEO. In his four years at the Times, he's been able to grow the company's traffic by over 40% and lead them to record years on search and in total audience. Now that you know a little bit about Claudio, let's get into the episode. Uh, hi, man. Well, again, man, nice having you. Pleasure having you. Um, I've been, I've been a fan of yours from a distance for a bit, and uh, I remember one thing you said, which is why I was like really excited to talk to you, man. Like it took you, I don't know, like twenty or thirty years to finally feel comfortable in being yourself. So. Let's start there, man. When, when people tell you about authenticity or when people tell you to be your most authentic self, like what comes to mind for you? What does that mean for you? Um, I, think, I think what it means is just, just being, 
you know, it really depends, right? Because everyone has their, and I'll just mention the internet for a second. I think everyone has their own approach to the internet and how, what they share and what they don't share. And I think that's perfectly fine, right? Like everyone is not going to be able to, or not going to want to share every single detail of their life, may share 50%, right? May share only the good moments, may share only the bad moments. Um, but I do think it's important, um, you know, in whatever kind of like position that you're in, if you do have like some sort of public um, image, let's say, um, for you to be able to kind of be as transparent as possible, because I think um, in the generation that we're in at the moment, it's really focused on kind of seeing the highlights and kind of seeing the best moments, but it's not necessarily focused on kind of seeing the process and the road to get there, right? We, um, we tend to kind of just, um, you know, kind of bury our bad moments uh, because we may feel shame, we may feel embarrassed, uh, but those bad moments really do lead um, to a lot of the great, you know, breakthroughs that you have as an individual. So I think being your authentic self, you know, um, whether it's your friends, whether it's with your partner, whether it's at work, they're all three different things, right? And they all take three different approaches. Um, but the best possible way that you can be authentic in each um, is really is really something that you as a person only know. And um, at that point, it's really up to you to kind of like realize, um, you know, what, you know how open you want to be because i think a lot of times we repress and a lot of times we um a lot of times we repress and a lot of times we always we, we assume so in that repression we kind of assume things of other people instead of just kind of being open and transparent about what it is we want what we want to say what we want to do um so i think um it's almost like you know you, you put yourself in a space where um you create stories in your head when you can just kind of really tell the story in your head and kind of get ahead after that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's interesting you mentioned the word repress and, you know, what were some of those early experiences where you felt like you felt like you were repressing parts of your identity? Yeah, I mean, I think when you get to, um, I think when you get to your like professional life, your work life, right? Um, I think automatically, um, and it's interesting because I, I actually started off when I graduated from college, uh, I only worked at companies that were either focused on Latino media or black media. So I was never in rooms with like white folks outside of like college, right? Um, and maybe like a retail job that I worked while I was in college. Uh, so in a professional setting, I was really kind of used to being around us in a sense, right? Uh, so when I got to, I, I think CBS was my first real like corporate corporate job and I was sort of higher up at that point um it was definitely different uh because I realized I couldn't walk around the office and like you know just do normal things that that, that we as people of color do and, and 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 we're open like I remember in my last office I would like listen to music loud I would just like you know kind of like just talk about like really open to like topics that are open to us, like about race, about you know, discrimination, about culture, about social justice. Um, and those are things that I immediately missed because you didn't necessarily know who would be willing to kind of talk about those things and who would. Right. Um, and then you're always kind of sensitive when there is a race issue come up and you're like, do I jump into this? Do I not jump into this? What do I really think about this? Um, so I think when I got to those companies, um, when I got to CBS and then now being at the New York Times, like it, it, it was definitely a, a, I don't want to say it was a culture shock. It was more um, me learning how to kind of like 
learn them and learn how to kind of like navigate the space as a person of color. And what um, I think what really kind of helped me, and I was actually talking to a mentee yesterday about this type of stuff because she's working at a company where she's the only um, black woman on staff and she's a college graduate. And she was talking to me about just like, you know, I don't really know anyone here. I just started the job, but I started the job remote, which is even more different, right? Like you're not physically in front of people. Um, you can't grab them like at the, you know, at the water cooler or anything of the sorts, the lunchroom, mm-hmm. just kind of chat with them. So, you know, w- what really kind of worked for me was really kind of seeking out as many people as I can. Um, so when I got to those jobs, what I immediately did was, uh, you know, I, I sat down with one person and then I would, then I would ask that person, give me like five names that I should sit down with. And I kept going, like, give me five names, give me five names until I got to like maybe 30 to 40. Um, and it was a mix of people, right? It was a mix of people of color. Um, it was also, um, people who weren't right. And what that was able to do for me, uh, because I think as people of color, when you enter majority white organizations, you have imposter syndrome, you, you, you start believing you don't belong there, even though you've done so much to kind of get to this point, or just in your career in general, right? And what ended up happening was, you know, having those conversations with people in my first two months, at least at the times, uh, was super beneficial because it kind of calmed me down. It allowed me to hear the perspectives of people of color at the organization. And then at the same time, it uh, it made me realize that I don't have to hit a home run in on day one, or I don't have to hit a home run on month one, right? And I think a lot of times when you when you get into a place and you're, you, you know, it's not the most diverse place on earth, you think you're like the representative for all Dominicans, or all Puerto Ricans, or all Jamaicans, or whatever, right? And it's like, you put this crazy pressure on yourself. Uh, yeah. But that, you know, it's... It, everyone's kind of different and everyone kind of approaches things differently. Um, I'm super open at work, but I know I've become more open at work as I've become, I don't want to say more powerful, but more of a leader at work. And I think that's allowed me to become a little more comfortable in a way that I think for a lot of people, as they get higher, they repress Mm -hmm. a lot more because they're more protective of it. Um, and 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 I feel like my personality has always been one that's really jokey and easygoing but jokey and easygoing in a way that's not offensive either, right? So I feel like a lot of like, you know, me just chatting or making jokes in the office is not necessarily something that's viewed as a negative, but just viewed as part of my personality. And I wanted to include that. Do I talk about everything and anything that I've always wanted to talk about in the office in ways that I did 10 years ago at black companies and Latino companies? No, but I think you're probably never gonna be 100% your full self unless you own a place, right? I think if you if you, if you can get to 50 to 75% in a very like, you know, top down white company, I think that's actually pretty good. Uh, Because there's a lot of people that just repress and it really kind of affects, you know, their job as a whole, or or just not being open. And I know it's tough. Yeah, no, that's so interesting, man, because I I often feel that pressure as well. Like I put that pressure on myself. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yo, I got to do a good job because if I don't do a good job, they're not going to hire another Latino or they're not going to hire another black person here. But like no one's no one's legit telling me that. But it's like some of the stories that I tell myself. And it's so interesting when you mentioned imposter syndrome, too, because like a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome in the sense of that voice inside of our head that it's like, yo, you don't belong here. And we're like we always compare up but we never compared down as well, you know, whatever down means. Right. But, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. you know, in many ways, like I've also been told that I don't belong there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really, really, uh, yeah. 
in in so many words you know what i mean so like words. handing somebody like your powerpoint slide and they're like the slide looks ghetto can you fix that i'm just like Whoa. all right interesting choice of words or very um, interesting choice of words or like i'll tell somebody about my weekend and they're like oh those those are the places you go out to meanwhile it's the same people that go to burning man but i can't go uptown <laughs> and yeah, like exactly. and have like a regular <laughs> be at a regular concert or party yeah yeah, but what was imposter syndrome like for you, man? Because it's something that everyone goes through, but mm-hmm. many times you feel alone in that situation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the main thing about imposter syndrome for me was, um, you know, and and I think I really, when I got to CBS and the Times, I really kind of, it really kind of, you know, heightened because that, that was my first time working at predominantly white companies, right? Um, and I just felt like, you know, a dot in like this whole like C, right? Um, in terms of just being like the one of the only people of color. And when I got there, um, I went through, it, it's so crazy because you go through like such a strenuous interview process. You interview like seven times, eight times, literally at both places I did. Um, and I knew like interview four or five that they wanted. Unless I like completely, you know, tripped up in an interview or anything like that. I knew they wanted to hire me and they were just kind of like introducing me to different people and different people as I go, right? People that I would probably interact with on some level. And um, I remember the first day I started, it's almost like I forgot that they wanted me, that they put me through eight interviews, that I did everything that I did before this, right? And I think for me at at CBS, what really kind of stood out was that, like I mentioned, I, I was... I was at these different companies before that were centered around people of color. And then I moved to a white company and you have, and sometimes you have like this conditioning in your head that white companies are better or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. Like you have this conditioning, right? Like they're bigger, they have more budget, more resources. So it's like, all right, like they're going to figure me out in two weeks and they're going to get rid of me. And they're going to be like, Oh, I should have hired this dude or this girl. Um, And it was rough. I mean, I think at CBS, it was actually a longer acclimation period than it was at the times. And I think it was because there were less people of color there. And I just didn't, I think sometimes you, when you don't see a lot of you, it's hard to trust the people in front of you, right? Like even if they're not malicious or not, you know, really like out to get you or anything, it's like hard to really kind of confide in people and what's going on with you. Um, And it took me like, probably took me like four to five months because every day I was like, trying to like hit a home run trying to like make this big thing i would get frustrated when people wouldn't listen to my ideas and not frustrated in a bad way but sort of like you know are they doing this because i'm a black guy are they doing this because i'm Latino? whatever right like all these things right and then those things start playing in your head when you know i'm not saying that it could be it can't be true or it could not be true right but it it may not even be a thought in their head they may just be like i want to do it you know what i mean um so I really had to get to a place and therapy kind of really helped me with this specifically in this job. Like it it really kind of helped me, you know, kind of like stop creating stories in my head. Uh, Because when I was getting turned down for things, I, you know, again, I felt like they were out to get me. They didn't want to help me. This place was never going to change or listen to my recommendations. And um, I did start making a lot of like friends within the office and people that were like, you know, encouraging and that really helped me. But therapy probably helped me the most because what it really kind of got me to was a system of kind of like tracking my weeks, right? So I started tracking like everything that happened in my week, whether it was something that was 
not the most positive and something that was positive. And it didn't have to be like something results oriented, right? It didn't have to be like, oh, like I pitched this article and it got 8 billion views. It was more like, <laughs> hey, you sat down with, you know, the editor in chief or you sat down with the product manager and they, you know, you had a good conversation with them. And before this, you weren't meeting with anyone, right? So like that to me and that to my therapist at the time was a growth, was a step of growth, right? So what she wanted me to do was more so let's look at, let's look at accomplishments like, you know, these big things that are company goals and look at them as you start off as little things that you're doing that are taking you out of your comfort zone. And I think that's that's the philosophy that I took to the times, right? Where when I started, it was like, oh, I'm going to meet with all these people to kind of get myself comfortable and acclimated. And even though I still had that imposter syndrome when I got at the times, when I got to the times, um, it kind of dissipated much quicker. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I always try to tell people, um, and, and I've had to learn this myself is that, you know, it, it's almost like an experiment of like repeating to yourself to, to remember who, you know, who the hell you are, right? It doesn't mean that, you know, no one's saying you're Jay-Z or Beyonce, you know, but like in your own life, you've done a lot. You've done a lot. You've come from situations that are probably much harder than a lot of your colleagues. Um, and you were able to kind of like, you know, surpass those situations and get to the place you are um, and really just kind of understand that you belong here. Um, and at the same time that you're not, you're not responsible, you know, like if you, if you end up doing bad at a job, like, you know, it doesn't mean that the company is going to say, well, you know, we hired him for the, we gave him a shot. We're not going to hire any more, you know, this color, um, going forward. Um, so it's really just kind of like taking the pressure off yourself and that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. But I think like the mental exercise of just really kind of understanding that, you know, you're, you're there for you. You're not there for the broader population is what's important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of that resonated, man. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes you just need someone to tell you that you're not crazy. You know, going back to that earlier yeah. example where you're in a meeting, you say something, no one listens to you, but literally some <laughs> other dude says the same exact thing with less data to back it up. And they're like, he's a genius. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? And then you look around and sometimes like I, I remember I remember being in that situation. I was like, nah, I'm bugging. I'm bugging. They just didn't hear me. I'm gonna say it louder next time. And then I remember I would like say things a bit louder. And mm -hmm. I like my biggest thing, and therapy helped me as well, man. So I'm glad you yeah. mentioned that. Like my biggest thing was in those moments, I couldn't mm -hmm. communicate my emotions and how I was feeling to my teammates. Yes. So I really wanted to tell my teammates. Instead of being like, yo, y'all not listening to me, I want to say I'm feeling unheard. I'm feeling like you all don't appreciate exactly. the value that I'm putting in, which is a way more constructive conversation than like, yeah. yo, what the fuck, me? Y'all not listening? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. I feel like most people don't get to that point where they communicate that and then they're seen as the angry, angry insert aggressive. whatever it's adjective. Yeah. Exactly. And I got to that point to the aggressive stereotypical thing before I got to the point where I could communicate my emotions, which is, um, which is really unfortunate. No, that's super, that's super smart, man. Like the, the whole thing about, you know, words matter, right. Mm -hmm. Even in like the most non-threatening situations, right. Like just being, just being able to reframe, like, you know, I feel, you know, why aren't you listening to me is much different than I feel unheard. Mm -hmm. Right. 
um, and, and it doesn't come off. Um, and it's an excellent point that you made. It doesn't come off as like, I'm upset. It just comes off as like, you know, I, I, I want to do well. Um, but I just feel like, you know, no one's, no one's really kind of like giving me the ear that I need. Um, so it doesn't feel like you're, you know, complaining. It feels like you're being transparent exactly. in a different way, you know? Exactly. And it's interesting too, man, you mentioned that at first you were kind of nervous or even like fearful to, to say certain things, or you were fearful and like confiding in certain people. I'm wondering if that has to do with some of that like self pressure that you're putting on yourself or is it has to do with like potentially like a previous experience that made you sort of like suppress a little bit um i don't know i mean i think i think for me it, w- it wasn't really like a previous experience you know it was more it, it was more like when you get when you get into a corporate environment and you really start off at first you really don't know who knows who Right. You know, everyone knows everyone, but you don't really know the extent of their relationships. Right. So it really kind of prevented me at first from really kind of sharing with people, Um, you know, and sharing with people in the same way that you just mentioned, sort of like, hey, like I'm struggling with this or, hey, I'm feeling unheard in this situation. And I think um, that's kind of what affected me. And I think actually when I started sharing with people, surprisingly, and maybe this was you know strategic on my part, was when I started figuring out who was who and who had what relationships with who, right? So when I started realizing like, all right, like this person that doesn't have that much access to this person or that person, or I don't feel as, it almost felt like you want, you, you, it almost felt like for me, and this is being sincere, I, I confided in people who I felt didn't have the most access to higher ups. Um, but I also confided in those people because they were open to listening to me as well. So it was, it was kind of twofold. Like there were those individuals that would kind of like say like, Hey man, I'm, I'm listening to your ideas. I really wish we could do it, but you know, he, he makes the decisions or she makes the decisions. Um, but I think for me, like strategically at first, it was more so about, you know, who is like buddy, buddy in this place. And like, if I say something to her or him, like, is it going to travel to him or her? Uh, so it was a lot of like really studying people to then after you get after you kind of like run through that period where you're like not worried about like what you accomplished today then I think I got to a place where I naturally kind of let my guard down I became a little more open I became a little more talkative and that was my own process right like it wasn't really anything that anyone else did it was just kind of me kind of letting you know the guard down and then I started meeting and then I started talking to people who I felt like really comfortable with um, and, and people that I felt like listened to me or at least collaborated with me. And that's when I was able to kind of build relationships and feel more comfortable in the environment that I was in. Yeah. And it's so interesting, too, man, because people think like one thing is like being in a predominantly white space. But you also t- talked about like you were you worked at companies that, you know, majority of the people look like you. But. I've always had yeah. the fantasy that like, yo, if I work for like a company where like everybody looks like me, it's going to be all good. But like people don't understand because I, I had a, I had a home girl that worked at Univision and she was telling me, it's okay. not what you think, man. Like just because you work around a lot of Hispanics or Latinos, Latinas, there's still levels to the Latinidad. You know what I mean? They're still like, oh, yeah, for sure. like she was being called ghetto because she was from the Bronx compared to people from that were Latina, but they were from like Westchester or there's like the colorism or there's the, 
classism mm-hmm. with wealth or the music like it's not it's not all perfect just because you work around a lot of people that look like you right no absolutely i mean i think and that's something that i, I talk about a lot in terms of like colorism in spanish-speaking mm-hmm. you know communities or latino communities spanish in general um, language as well man that's another one spanish language as well yeah so it's um you know, I, I think, you know, one of the experiences that I kind of have gone through at work is that, like, I'm part of two ERG groups. Obviously, I'm Dominican, um, but I'm part of the Black ERG group. I'm part of the Latino ERG group. Um, and, you know, it's something that, you know, I just wanted to do. I felt fine in both groups, right? And um, it's interesting because, you know, you you have, like, it, it's so interesting. Like, I sit, well, we don't really sit in the office anymore, but... <laughs> when we sat in the office there would be people hey like i need a spanish speaker and like everyone knows in the office that i speak spanish and they would just like fly right by me and i think they would fly right by me because they don't envision me as a stereotypical looking latino person right um and that would always kind of like you know like bother me because i'm like hey like i can i can speak spanish right with these individuals knowing but i think you know from a phenotype level they're looking for someone who looks like a rod or looks like j-lo right to kind of speak or to kind of translate whatever it may be. Um, So that was something that I definitely went through at work or have gone through at work. Um, And even in what I do, like I find it interesting because, you know, I'm in a space uh, which is called SEO, which there's not a lot of people of color to begin with, right? And then there's not a lot of people of color who speak Spanish (laughs) additionally, right? So I've been doing a lot of like teaching overseas and, you know, well, this goes back to like what we were talking about, like the assumptions we make in our head, but sometimes the assumptions we make in our head are accurate ones. Um, I know I've been in conversation with a lot of people who live in Spain and Europe, for example, and people who live in Latin America as well. And they never knew who did SEO for the New York Times. Um, and I think the last thing in their mind was like, it would be a dude that speaks Spanish. And then I think the last thing in their minds was it would be a dark skinned dude that speaks Spanish. Right. And sometimes, sometimes I could, I, I, I can, you know, when I've been on calls, not that anything's ever been said, but there's a very like, wow, like, how did you get here? But like, how did you get here? Not in like, a, hey, we really want to know how you got like, I think there is a sincerity to it. But I also think there's like, even if they may not acknowledge it, there's like, it's rooted in a little bit of like race, right? Or racism or whatever. Um, or they're like, damn, like, he speaks Spanish, he made it there, like, so why am I not there, right? And it's like this automatic, like, comparison, competitive game. Um, So I think I've even seen it, you know, even when I do kind of like the freelance work outside of the times. But um, yeah, to to what your friend said, I mean, I worked at companies where, um, Black companies and Latino companies, where the higher-ups were all lighter skin in both, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And really really were kind of uh, putting roadblocks to certain people's kind of progress within there. And then you see like certain things that wouldn't be covered. And if they were going to be covered, like say things about Afro-Latinidad or anything of the sorts, they really wanted to cover it in a safe way versus really a transparent, honest way that would really kind of move the conversation. So, um, you know, I I think sometimes people forget um, about, you know, color color within, uh, the color dynamics within, groups of people of color um, and how there's, you know, just like we look at telenovelas on, on Univision, a lot of these people could walk down the street and you'd be like, oh, they're white, right? So mm-hmm. like, if we think they're white, how do you think they envision themselves when they're, you know, Mexico or Colombia or anywhere mm-hmm. else? So 
it's understanding that even within our cultures, um, there are people who still have privilege that sort of white people have in some respects. Yeah, like they could, I mean, there's so many examples of this, but I think the most, mm-hmm. the most, the, like the, the example that always sticks out to my head, I don't, do you know Mark Pritchard? No, no. Mm-mm. Oh man, I gotta send you this, but he's, he's the, he's essentially the CMO of PNG, but okay. he, it's weird to say he came out, <laughs> mm-hmm. like he legit came out at like this conference on diversity as like, as Mexican. And like his quote, I mean, he's, I'll send you a picture, man, but he looks like a white man, but he said that Mm -hmm. he suppressed, he he hid his Mexican identity or never like admitted to that himself being Mexican was because he was scared of just like whatever people would say, or like that people would negatively impact his career, et cetera. And yeah, I mean, this is like the head of brand at p and g like this is a powerful man and it took him mm-hmm. to get to that point to be able to like quote unquote come out and like if it's difficult for him to do that like imagine oh, yeah. any of us embracing like who we are or even telling people we listen to reggaeton or whatever yeah absolutely i, I didn't even know that story and yeah it just kind of shows the you know, how, how it affects different people in different ways, right? Like, um, you know, his last name is Pritchard. I think it was an adopted yeah. name, right? Or something like that. So Maybe, yeah. it just kind of shows you like, whether it's for, whether it's the benefit, the detriment, whatever it may be, however you may view it, um, people either run towards it or run away from it for their own reasons. Um, despite the fact that they still know deep down inside who they are, you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious too, like if it was comfortable for you to embrace at, at a simple level, like go to both ERG meetings. Cause I remember for me, man, like yeah. it was, for, so Facebook has this event. It's called like black leadership day. They also have Latino leadership day that pride mm-hmm. leadership day, all these different groups. Right. And mm-hmm. they, it's, it's a dope event. Like they fly all the employees that self-identify as either, you know, all of these, all these groups, fly you out and it's like every single person that self-identifies as such goes to headquarters and it's just like a dope event dope speakers um Mm -hmm. and like i remember my first year at facebook i was having a really difficult time imposter syndrome all the things we discussed and it took me to go to 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 black leadership day first for me to be like yo there are vps and all these stuff all these people that (laughs) like swag surfing on stage but they're like doing really well at work as well you know what i mean Mm -hmm. And it took that representation for me to be like, yo, I could be myself. But I remember like weeks before that, my boy was like, yo, why didn't you sign up? And I was like, I've always had this like difficult time with identity, specifically like I self-identifying as black because I remember growing up, like I was just raised to be like, oh, you're Dominican. Like no one said like yeah, you're it's black weird, or yeah, nationalistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like, I didn't, I didn't hear the word diaspora, African diaspora Mm -hmm. until like college. So it wasn't until college where I was like, oh shit, like, okay. Like Mm -hmm. Dominicans, some, you know, depending on where you are in the island, et cetera, like actually black and all, you know, not just Spain, et cetera. So I was Mm -hmm. just like, yo. And, and then that was sort of like reinforced with, in, in that opportunity at work. And I was just like, oh shit, like, let me take this opportunity. But I feel like for so long, like we isolate ourselves culturally yeah. where we don't, 
embrace all parts of our culture and identity and we miss out mm-hmm. on certain opportunities like external but also just like internal and, and just like knowing who we are um and there's this <laughs> there's this cardi b quote that always sticks to me when i think about identity she said uh it, it, it was it was a conversation where she was being asked about afro um, latinidad and she was like mm-hmm. um clearly i wasn't made from two white people fucking <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> um but it's it's really interesting, man. And yeah. yeah, I've struggled with that for a while. I think from lack of education and awareness um, of mm-hmm. the history, man. But what about you? Have you yeah. also struggled yeah, with that I'm, as well? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I first got to the Times, um, I, um, you know, I think I was at a point of acceptance, right? And, and acceptance in a, in, in a way of like, when I was growing up, there was still a very like, you know, you're Dominican, you're Dominican, you're Dominican, mm-hmm. right? Like very nationalistic. It's almost like you wouldn't even know where Dominicans like derive from, right? It's just like, we're Dominican, right? It's almost like a race, right? The way we kind of like talk about it in <laughs> yeah. a sense, right? Um, it's like, you're like, you know, whatever. It's like black, white, Dominican, right? Asian. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's so nationalistic that you grow up you know, speaking Spanish. So you automatically are just like, yeah, I'm Latino, right? Whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it it took me definitely a lot of time to kind of embrace Blackness as a whole. And it wasn't, it it hadn't, it didn't have anything to do with like outside experiences or anything of the sorts. Just, um, you know, it it was something that I was kind of like, that was kind of pointed out to me uh, because I was probably one of like the few dark-skinned Dominicans in class. So it, it it was kind of made to be something that like was made to kind of like single me out and shame me. So mm. at that point, what it made me kind of do was run away from blackness. So as I was growing up as a teenager, maybe early 20s, um, you know, I, it's not that I would necessarily say um, it's, it's not that I would necessarily say that I was. Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, Surprise. Not it, but but I would I would kind of like move away from it right like it wasn't something that i was willing to accept because it was so it it was kind of told to me in such a negative way and i really didn't know much about it to be honest with Mm -hmm. you i just knew complexion and all that other stuff and then um as time went on therapy just really kind of reading just kind of learning about yourself that's kind of when i started to just accept it more and understand more about it um and not shy away from that you know i would say identification in a sense um because for a really long time it was something that i did not on any level um want to embrace because of how it made me feel um but what i kind of had to realize was that that's the way those people made me feel for their own ignorant reasoning right but everyone that's in my life whether they're black american dominican american dominican um you know, never made me feel that way about me or blackness in general. And that's really kind of when I said, you know what, like, this isn't negative. It was just made, it just, they were just doing it to make me feel lower than whatever than them when there's nothing to feel lower about. Um, And when I got to the times, um, there wasn't an ER, there were ERG groups at, well, I don't think there were ERG groups at CBS. There were like specific events and stuff. But when I got to the times, I just felt like it just felt like more like community. You know, for me, it was just like, yeah, I I identify as either or. But at the same time, I just felt like I wanted to be in the two groups and kind of meet different people um, and embrace things. Because, again, to to what you mentioned about the Cardi B line, right? Like, you know, (laughs) I, I, you know, I obviously didn't come from two white people. So 
um, you know, it, it kind of comes down to that. And, and I was just, you know, and it's been a positive, like the relationships that I've built in my office have not only helped me professionally, but personally as well, you know, and I think just kind of expanding your network when you're in a place like that is important. Um, you know, whether you, whether you a hundred percent feel part of that group or you don't. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, ERGs have been really helpful for me. It's funny. I still get hit with the, uh, because <laughs> uh, it's not just like going to certain events or sometimes you lead lead events or some of these ERGs and yeah. I remember one of my coworkers said oh must be nice to go to must be nice <laughs> to, to allocate time to both of them <laughs> like, all right unnecessary unnecessary <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> it's, it's so interesting too man because people don't realize sometimes but like when I started working at Facebook like that's when so like because I work there like everyone adds each other on social media so it's not yeah. only like me being myself at work, but now mm-hmm. people are seeing like what I do outside of work as well. And yeah. like, yeah. that's a whole nother element. And you, I thought about as well, because you're so vocal, like mm-hmm. vocally as well, but also like digitally in a lot of the writing that you do. Right. And yeah, yeah. a lot of these are very personal experiences, personal, but yeah. you never really know how people are going to react. Are they going to be like, <laughs> Oh my God, Claudio, tell me about like, blah, blah. People want to talk to you. Right. But like, you're showing a whole nother side of you that a lot of people don't see at work. Like, was it, oh, yeah. was it scary? Like hitting that enter oh, button to hit submit oh, one, you know, that first time? Oh, hundred percent, bro. Like I, I remember I was talking to my girlfriend about it earlier last earlier well at the beginning of 2020 and i was just like hey you know because i used to have a blog that was doing really well a mm-hmm. decade ago a long time ago and i just stopped writing because i just got like i just wasn't in the like zone for it and similar I remember topics telling, yeah yeah similar topics like you know self-help career stuff colorism all mm-hmm. that stuff and i remember telling my girlfriend you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna give writing on instagram a shot I was like, I know it's, I know it's a visual platform. I know it's not like, you know, people don't like reading on it, but I was like, you know what, maybe I'll give it a shot and see how it does. And, and, and I said, and, and I think at core, what it was, wasn't necessarily a bet on me gaining readership. It really wasn't that it was more so um, me finding a space to kind of just write. Right. But, but, but finding a space to write where I can connect. And I didn't feel like blogs in 2021, or 2020 were the way to go because people don't visit blogs as much, right? They're just on social media. They're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They don't really have that time to kind of go to those, those platforms, right? Those other sites. Um, and I just started writing and it just started like connecting. Right. Um, and then there was a hundred percent a point where like I made my page private. I was like, ain't no one from one really? behind this shit. Oh yeah, for sure. Because I was like, I'm being <laughs> so transparent and so honest that I'm like, shit, if someone reads this at work, how is this going to affect me? Um, yeah. And, you know, it took time, you know, because again, this was just last year. So it took time, I think maybe like around the summer, as my writing kept growing and growing in terms of just like followership, um, there was like a little anxiety about like still, you know, like I would only leave my page like public on days I post and then private like <laughs> we got like three days after. Um, <laughs> And it was literally strategic and like, and, and I'm going to be super honest with you. There were times where like, I would see someone follow me from work and I press talk. Like I'd literally do it because I was like, nah, you ain't going to read my stuff. Because what the thing it? is like, was it like something in particular, like a specific topic that you didn't want people no, to see? No, no. It, it was just like, I just felt like I was just being honest about things that like had to do with me and like dating and color. And it, it goes to what, you know, we talk about, I don't think anyone's ever fully, regardless of color, right? I don't think anyone's ever fully like, 
you know, just telling what's going on in their life and what they learned about at work, right? So it's not really just a color thing, but I think from a color perspective, you're also extra like protective of things. You're like, oh man, I don't want them to read this because it's gonna change their opinion of me. Um, and then what ended up happening for me was, was just that I just like stopped not caring, but like, I was just like, you know what, like what I'm writing here is my life or was my life at some point. Um, and I don't think anything that I'm writing isn't rooted in growth on some level, like me either learning from it, me being in the process of learning from it or having learned from it. Right. So I was like, if someone reads this that knows me as Claudio at work, sure. Are they going to be surprised? Yeah. But at core, I said, like, I'm not writing anything that I feel like on any level is problematic. I think it's just honest. Um, and my what I would consider like my work life, she's a she's a white lady. She's a white girl and she's like maybe 32 or 33. And um, she would always be like, hey, man, I got to follow you. I got to follow you. Why don't you let me follow you? And like, that's my homie. Like, that's my homie for life. Right. Um, and I'll be like, nah, it's cool, like whatever. And I know, like, you know how people do. They always find their way to kind of find you on Instagram through boyfriend's account or someone else's account, right? Just to be like, I wonder what Claudio does on Instagram, right? Um, so it was two of my homegirls, Erin and Victoria, and she was like, she was like, come on, like, what's the big deal? And I was like, well, like, you know, I kind of write about my life on there, and I don't know how you're gonna view me or whatever. She was like, it's whatever. Um, and I let them, I just let them be and they, you know, they followed me or whatever. And, um, and I think that was kind of like a step to, in a way, like me kind of letting go, like, and allowing someone, you know, close to me at work, at least, um, to kind of just, you know, have at it and just be able to see what, and nothing has changed, you know, we're still very, we're still the same people. She doesn't talk to me about anything related to it. Yeah. And not that I expected her to either, you know? Um, nor maybe do you want to <laughs> nor maybe do i want to right and and i think what was important for me was that um, and i remember telling my therapist this was that you know I've, I've been i've been like kind of managing who sees it and who doesn't in such a way and now i'm sort of just like you know what whatever like i ain't writing anything crazy people take it a certain way then whatever but um i just i just felt like i was it, it's not a game that you can you can manage right because it, mm -hmm. you know sometimes you sometimes you'll get 30 new followers and you'll only see like two of the people that followed you right but you won't see the subtle flex people, right? yeah exactly <laughs> no 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 i'm not no i'm saying it more so like it's uh it's a reality right and like i don't want to just be like digging through my page like oh she's following me block you know and like i can't do that and I was just like, you know what? I don't even write that much. I write like every few months. And I was like, you know, it's it's better for me from from just like a mental perspective just to let go. Bro, the craziest thing about your post, I mean, they're, they're dope. They're so deep, by the way. But the know. craziest thing about your post, man, and you mentioned this already, is that Instagram is a visual platform. And like, I'm I'm even taught at work to create video. Like I advise my clients to create short form video, like gifts, capture mm -hmm. attention quickly, et cetera, all that stuff. Like, like your posts literally go against every best practice on Facebook and Instagram, yet people stop 
read, comment, show so much love. Like, like reading through the comments on your post, like gives me goosebumps because it's, it's all full of like, yo, this is exactly what I was going through. This is exactly what I needed to like get through it. I'm still going through it. Like, I'm sure you read through those comments and you're just like, that's why I write. You know what I mean? Like, do you get to, like, what are some of those feelings that you get, man? Because those comments in there are so much love, man. And also pain as well. Yeah, there's a lot of it too. There's a lot of that in there too. It's, it's interesting. Like when I saw it starting to connect maybe like late last, like mid last year, I was really surprised, man. I was shocked actually. Um, you know, and, and, and as many comments as you see, there's like people that will like just message me and like really tell like a full yeah. on personal story. And yeah. you know, what I, what I really got to the point with, with all of it was, and it kind of touches into another layer of just kind of like self-analysis is, um, you know, there was a point where I wasn't like fully like um, letting all these comments hit me. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes like when you, when, when you see a lot of people commenting on your stuff, you start not necessarily taking it for granted, but sort of being like, oh, wow, great. Thank you. Like, I appreciate it. And you are grateful, but you're not really sitting with it and really appreciating the fact that like, hey, like you took time to write this for the last two to three weeks or two to three days. And people are really responding to it um, and being able to tell their own personal stories about it at the same time. And, um, you know, to kind of see like whether it's about you know, dating, colorism, anything, you know, parents, um, being Dominican, uh, you know, to kind of see like those comments come out of nowhere from people and messages come out of nowhere from people that you don't even know who like will literally write you three paragraphs. Like there was someone that wrote me today about, I was on a podcast the other day um, and I was talking about just like how sometimes we forget that our parents are their own, are their own people, right? And they had dreams too. But maybe yeah. they grew up at a time where it wasn't necessarily um, something that they could accomplish for whatever reason, right? Um, and someone was emailing me um, or messaging me, talking to me about like, hey, like, you know, it really kind of helped me understand that like, you know, my parents are, you know, came here, sacrificed for me. But in that sacrifice, they may have lost what they really wanted to do, right? Um, if they had the chance, right? Um, so it, it's it, it hits you and, and and i've learned to kind of like really sit with it um and really kind of like be grateful for you know for the audience that you know i guess i have um and also just kind of like the connection is really what it is you know that's what you kind of spoke about at the onset like you you it, it's what you said it's like you think that you're the only one going through it. And then when you find someone else, it's not like you're happy, like, yeah, I got company because it's still kind of like, yeah. depending on the topic, it could be a sad thing, right? Yeah. Um, but you're still like, wow, like there's people that have their own experiences and there's people that have experiences from both genders. It doesn't have to be a guy, it could be a girl too. Um, and, and I think that's been the most rewarding thing. Like I'm not asking people to pay me for it. I'm not asking for donations, um, but the connection is really what it's all about. Yeah, hundred percent, man. I love that you're not even like finished growing, man. No one is, right? And you're no, no, even no. you, even you just said, man, like you just took a big step last year, maybe even just like letting more people see your Instagram profile, man. Like, what's as you look forward into the future, like what's one thing 
that continues to inspire and empower you to continue being your most authentic self? Um, I think, I think number one, it just helps me to kind of like, you know, I think in the moments where you are able to kind of be transparent and authentic, um, when you get feedback or comments or messages, you actually put yourself in a position where you actually learn from others too, right? Um, there's been so many situations where I've talked about like things that, you know, I've struggled with where I'm working on and I get a message from someone and they're like, hey, like, this is something that I tried or this is something that I'm doing. And I've been able to kind of incorporate that into my own life and kind of improve. Um, so that's kind of an example of like, you know, really kind of, pushing something out there, but also getting something from it back. Um, you know, whether it's through connection, whether it's through like recommendations or whatever of the sorts. Um, but for me overall, it's really just kind of about, just kind of, um, there is a part of me, I won't lie, that sort of like, you know, and, and, it, and it touches on what you said earlier. That's like, I know this isn't a writing platform and I want to like keep growing and keep growing. And, and trust me when I tell you that my goal has never been like, oh, I want to have, whatever amount of followers like it's never been that but there is also a part of me that would like to see how far i can go with it you know like how far I can because i'm sure there's other people on instagram that write like i'm not the only one on earth um but i just want to continue kind of seeing like how many people can can really kind of connect with the work that i'm doing um and then you know like i said it's kind of like a, a scribble pad um uh or organized scribble pad but a scribble pad where i'm just kind of able to like lay out things and i think what I try to do for the most part is really find things that I feel are relatable. You know, things that I feel like people are going through, um, some people are going through, um, and, and kind of, you know, and it always doesn't have to be like a happy story, right? And I think it's important for me to be like, yeah, this is some, some shit I'm struggling with, you know? Um, and yeah, just kind of like basic transparency. Obviously, I want to do or finish up the book that I'm working on, on colorism in Dominican communities. Um, but outside of that, I think, you know, the writing on Instagram will continue. Um, and I'm sure it'll take different forms. Um, but I'm not sure like which forms it'll take yet. Yeah.